My name's Tim. I uh, get to be the pastor here, and uh, I feel like this is like the frozen chosen that are here. So we didn't know even like five minutes before 10. It was like uh, we were praying this morning, like, hey, it might be us having church. We'll have a really intimate gather around the stage group. Uh, but man, thank you to everybody for, for being here. So my dad every week usually will say it sometime in the morning when we're setting up everything. He'll say, hey, are we going to have a great sermon today? And it's always quickly followed up by, are you bringing somebody in? <laughs> like, you know, are you going to have a great sermon? Who's coming? You know, that isn't you, you know. And he's joking, at least I think he's joking. But, uh, um, but I did want to let you know that next week there will be a great sermon because uh, we're bringing in somebody that's not me. And uh, many of you know Rachel and Amos Green. Uh, they live in State Center. They lead one of our community groups. Uh, they're the only people that I know of, not just in our community, but anywhere that own their own cathedral. So they, uh, they have a beautiful cathedral right next to their house, and that, that's a story in itself, but interesting community group to go to because sometimes you're like, yeah, we hung out in the cathedral. So there has been a great benefit to the church, and Rachel's dad has been a pastor for decades, and he's a pastor in Ames, and he'll be preaching next Sunday, Kip Hamby is his name. So, so excited. It'd be great to bring friends, and he'll continue where we're at in the book of John. And so we, we believe in just preaching the Bible here. Like, we don't have to do anything special because Jesus is the special element to our gathering, so we don't have to bring in bells and whistles or any of that stuff. We just need to come together around the Word of God and be changed. So a sermon... Like, I could be a professor somewhere teaching the Bible, and typically the difference between a lecture and a sermon, lecture, I've been a part of lectures when I was in seminary that changed my life, I mean, like, really impacted me. But sometimes a lecture, you may be spending the day talking about, like, just really strange nuances in things that you're like, well, this is good to know, it doesn't feel like it's changing my life. The difference between a lecture and a sermon is that a sermon, the goal of a sermon is that our lives are changed. Transformation. That we don't come in here and play church. We come in here, the word of God is proclaimed to us. Um, the words of mine that aren't from God, we hope that just, they just bounce off of us. The words that God's allowing me to say that are his words, that he's written to us, that they soak in and they transform us. They change us. Okay, we're playing at church if we just come to this event and leave. We're, we're really being the church. The church is a people, not a place, uh, when, when we're actually allowing him to have his way in us and through us. And so, so one of the ways that we're doing that is preaching through books of the Bible. And we've been in John a really long time. I mean, I'm, this is, we're in the over 40 sermons so far in the book of John. We're in John chapter 13. We'll finish the book of John um, around Easter time, and then we'll do a shorter book of the Bible that, uh, that won't, but this has been so majestic. Um, I hope it's been as life-changing, and if you're new here and you want to kind of go back and listen to some of those, um, if you're exercising or driving around or whatever, we've got it on iTunes and on our website as well where you could uh, catch up or, or just listen to some of the other messages as well. So we're in John 13. We've got some Bibles on our Connect table over here. We have uh, journal Bibles, which is just like just the book of John where every other page is blank, and you can take notes and circle things and stuff. So if you've got like a family heirloom Bible and you don't want to mark it up, uh, feel free to grab any of those. They're free. They're yours. Uh, if it would bless you, we just have the, the words on the screen as well. So John 13, verse 1 says this, Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew 
that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's, I, I just, I read this, that, that phrase so much this week. He loved them to the end. Verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was coming and was going back to God. We're going to stop right there, uh, mid-sentence there. But look at the things that this section, just verses 1 through 3, look at the things that this section tells us that Jesus knows. Sometimes it's, it's interesting to catch those things. Like, okay, I'm being told what Jesus is thinking about. Let me, let me like get that. I'm being told what Jesus is thinking about, what he knows. He knows that his hour has come. This is the last week of his life. He's been alive for 33-ish years. He's been publicly doing ministry every day for three years, and he knows this is his last week. He knows that, that his time has come, and he also knows, this is great, he knows that when he departs, he will be with God the Father. No matter what the detractors around him, the religious leaders that should be following him, that are actually conspiring to kill him, and he's not like, man, maybe they're right. Though he knows his time is coming to an end, and he also knows that he will be with God the Father. And then he says, those that the Father gave to him, his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So what he also knows is that his purpose in being here to truly love us, to do what we should have done, to live the way we should be living and we should have lived but can't, that his work to rescue us, to live in our place, to die paying for the things that we should be paying for, but that's a hamster wheel that we will never be able to get off of because we could never do enough good in his eyes to say, oh man, I didn't even really even need to send my son. You're killing it. Like, no, he knew, like, your best efforts cannot bridge the gap between us and God. And that's why he came, to fix what needed to be fixed by the only one who could actually fix what needed to be fixed. And he knows he will be successful. He's going to see it through. He is going to love us to the end. And man, that's, that should be a comfort to each of us. I mean, when you're feeling anxiety, when, when you're just feeling a ton of unknown, to be like, Jesus loves me to the end. He, he sees it through, and he is aware of this. Jesus is concisely aware that he is doing this. And while Jesus is having these thoughts, Judas's thoughts were brought into is radically different. Satan had influenced Judas who had been around Jesus for three years. Satan has influenced Judas's thoughts where Judas by this time has resolved, I could get some cash if I turn Jesus in. And he ended up, we're told, doesn't even get a lot of money. He gets like what a common slave sold in the market of first century Rome would have gotten. So uh, Judas is missing. He, he's, he's close to Jesus and he's far away from Jesus. He's missing it. And then Jesus again knows, verse 3, that the Father has given all things into the hands of Jesus. 
No one has this on anybody's resume except for Jesus, which is that everything has been placed into Jesus' hands. He has authority over every... He is the top of the world's org chart. He is the top. No one is, it was, is even close. There's no one in heaven or earth with more power, authority, influence than Jesus, and Jesus is aware of this. He's not, it's not like some surprise that he's going to be given. He, in this moment, is consciously aware of these things. So last week, the way the Father feels about him, the, the way that he's going to love us to the end, and that he is the top of the world's org chart. He knows these things. He's aware of them. He's aware he's going back to God. And what would he do in that moment? So he's at supper with his disciples. I think if I, I'm so glad I'm not the Savior because I would be really bad because I would be corrupted by power. And BJ, thank you for agreeing with me, man. Uh, <laughs> he, I would be corrupted by power and I would probably sit at supper with so much pride and grin and just have this, this air about me of self-righteousness and, um, and wanting people to serve me, wanting people to worship me, wanting to make sure everybody knows how far superior I am to them. And um, I would be absolutely corrupted. And what we see Jesus do after all of this intro information, what we see Jesus to do on, is, like publicly in full display, I want to make sure that we see the side of Jesus, Okay. Because there's, like, I even grew up where people, I think, were faithfully telling me things about Jesus. I would never have told you that I was an atheist. But I think if you ask me very many questions about Jesus, I'm like, I don't, like, baby Jesus, Bible, I go to church, so I'm probably a Christian. And, uh, you know, I think I probably thought in a way that, like, if I walked into a garage, does that automatically make me a car? And, but I think I walked into a, a building that had a church name and thought like, oh, this automatically means I'm a Christian probably because I'm here and an atheist wouldn't be here maybe. And what Jesus in this passage where he's going to take us is wanting us to make crystal clear that we understand who he is and we understand in light of who he is how radical his invitation to us is, how we would never imagine this if we just sat in a room by ourselves and tried to think out how God would be. We would not think of the way that he shows himself to be, which is why he does this in plain sight, because he doesn't want us to have to be Sherlock Holmes and figure him out based on this like random evidence. He wants to make crystal clear that we know who he is and how he has designed us to live how we are designed by following him. So what does Jesus do with all this? Look at verse 4. This is what he does with all that he is. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet 
and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So what Jesus is doing here, I think, should make every one of us and, and probably made every one of them say, who is this? Who, who really is this guy? Who does this? With the most authority possible, he stoops. He stoops to serve those he loves. Uh, and just kind of culturally speaking, like most of the people at that time, it gets cold in Jerusalem, it can snow occasionally, but it's kind of like Dallas or something where it just doesn't happen very often. And so most people, most of the time, wore open-toed shoes, sandals. Uh, then they walked a lot because there weren't cars or, or transit or anything. They, they walked a lot. Uh, then the Roman road system did have a lot of cobblestone, but then a lot of the side roads were dust. And so a lot of what was just very cultural was that people had dirty feet. We walk into the house, kick our shoes off, our socks are relatively clean, and we just go into the house. If everybody's wearing sandals, and the way that, that culture was, when you go to somebody's house, um, you're walking in with dirty feet, and it would be customary that what hospitality was was that the lowest slaves, if, if, it, if this was a Roman-era house that had slavery, and, and there's like, some people think over 25% of all of the Roman Empire were slaves. So it was, a, it was a really radical, it was even different than the way slavery was in America. But one of the things that the, basically whoever was the lowest in a house, what they would do is they would wash the feet of everybody who came into the house before they ate dinner. And you can almost think of it as like, if you've been on like a road trip, and how you might like get somewhere or like you've been flying for a long time and just going in the bathroom and just like splashing water on your face, you're like, okay, I, I'm refreshed. I feel better. But then the way that they would lay when they would eat, your feet would be a little bit more prominent. It wasn't like hidden underneath the table. So you showed a lot of hospitality and you were refreshing to people by washing people's feet. Okay? Now, if... What I want to tell you is like, if when you think of someone washing your feet, you think, oh, I don't like people touching my toes, you know, or like, that would be so uncomfortable to me, I would never want anybody touching my feet. Realize like, that was not the way people thought back then. People were used to having their feet washed, okay? It was like, so it was, people kind of gotten over that, <laughs> and nobody even thought that way. Uh, you were just, it was actually, it'd be almost like if you're at a nice restaurant, that is like really good at hospitality, they might come up with you, come up to you with a cloth steamed towel to wipe your hands. And you're like, wow, this place is really nice. You know, you're not like, oh, don't touch my hands. You know, you're like, oh, this is really nice. Like, I feel, I feel, okay, let's eat, you know. And that was kind of the way that washing your feet were. And so knowing that this is something that the lowest of people would do. But Jesus stoops to be hospitable to his friends. Jesus is taking the time to wash his disciples' feet. It must have been really humbling because they had watched Jesus. Everything we've read in the book of John, most of the disciples were there for all of these like, amazingly powerful, miraculous things. And they're like, he's not supposed to be doing this. Um, this is what inferior people do. And he is superior. 
Someone superior to me is washing my feet. So then, as he's going around doing this to the disciples, he gets to Peter. And Peter responds the way that I think many of us would respond. Look at verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. So let's give Peter the benefit of the doubt here, okay? Let's just assume Peter's best intentions, and Peter is thinking to himself, if this is a mutually exclusive world, an either-or world, and it's either Peter washes Jesus' feet or Jesus washes Peter's feet, um, then who should do it? Like, should Peter be doing the washing or Jesus? Who is inferior? Who is superior? Like, on paper... Peter should be, like if there's only those two options, Peter should be the one washing his feet. But then Peter even goes so far to emphatically say, you shall never wash my feet. And you know, we could think that Peter is being a moron here. We could look down on him, look, you know, laugh at him and all this stuff. But I think Peter's heart here is a lot like a lot of our hearts sometimes, which is like, you know, I, I grew up, you know, Peter was a fisherman, you know, he, he couldn't always be calling, you know, like, oh, I need my nets mended, oh, there's something in the, in, wrong with the boat, there's something going on with the fish, you know, like he, he has to figure all this stuff out, just like a farmer would here. If a farmer didn't know how to do anything, they would go broke really fast because they'd have to pay all these people to do all this minutiae like type things but they have this breadth of knowledge a farmer has a breadth of knowledge where they're a mechanic they're this they're this they're this they're this and they have a skill set so they don't go broke <laughs> so they're able to do a lot of stuff themselves so a fisherman would have a skill set where they don't go broke but that can also lead to self-sufficiency it can also lead a person to come to a place of thinking you know what i'm not really a guy that takes handouts you know what, I've been taught since I was a little boy that, uh, you know, our family doesn't take charity. You know, we'll, we'll give to that. We'll, we will help other people, but other people don't help us. That's not the way that, that my family works. And I, Peter is, like, you see this resourceful Peter, self-sufficient enough, um, where I think he could be like, hey, wash their feet. Jesus, wash their feet. I'll get my feet taken care of by somebody else. You know, I'll, I'll make sure that I get my feet done. I'm glad you're washing everybody else's feet. You know, because you don't see Peter objecting to Jesus washing all the disciples' feet. Oh yeah, they they have dirty feet. Yeah, you know. But when it comes to him, he's hey, I'll, no, no, you will never wash my feet. I, I will not accept that from you. You know, and and I I just feel like that's in me. <laughs> that's in my heart is like being dependent on someone else receiving such humble service from somebody else, it, it, it feels un-American, it feels un-Iowan, it feels unrural to, uh, to depend on somebody else. And I feel that in my heart, I feel that with Peter right here. And this, uh, Jesus isn't like, well, that's fine. You know, I'm, your heart's in the right place. Like, you know, I'll wash, you know, Andrew's feet that are right next to you. Um, Jesus feels like this is a really big deal. And look what Jesus says to him uh, in verse 8 there. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. 
If I don't wash your feet, we have no relationship. He's been with them for three years. They are close. He is in the, of all of the disciples, there's kind of an inner circle. And he's, when he went up to the mountain transfiguration, uh, Jesus only brought three other disciples with him. And Peter was one of those. They are close. And Jesus is like, Peter, if you don't let me wash you, we have no relationship. You have no share with me. And let me just, because this would be like worst case scenario, is you hear this and you're like, and you leave here and you're like, man, Jesus was like really into clean feet. Like he must have this like, he must have kind of been like Seinfeld or something where it just has to, everything has to be clean and put in its place. And I guess Jesus just is really passionate about clean feet. That would be the furthest thing that any of us should think about. Jesus is not into clean feet. He's into clean souls. Jesus is not into clean feet. He's into clean souls. The purpose of Jesus here is to wash each of us. Wash us white as snow, it says in the Psalms. And all of the sinful tendencies that are in our bloodstream, all of the, the brokenness that separates us from God, all the brokenness of humanity that just continually keeps us at arm's length with him, a chasm that's developed between us, the purpose of Jesus coming, God himself coming with all of the authority that's been given to him was to rescue us, is to rescue us, to wash us, to cleanse us, a people who are washed by our Savior. When the Father looks at us, like when God the Father looks at BJ, he's like, I see BJ card, but what I see is Jesus. Because he has put his trust in Jesus, and so when the Father looks at BJ, he sees Jesus. And what Jesus has done on his behalf, and he's like, that dude's white as snow. And he says that to me, and he says that to each one of us. And so Jesus is obviously doing something bigger than just washing feet. He is giving us a picture into what he is going to be stepping into that week, which is truly victoriously washing us for whoever would believe in him would be saved. Um, and so we, we still have to believe him to receive that cleansing, okay? And so here, what Jesus is saying is if you are too proud to accept me washing you, you won't know me. If you're too proud to receive me washing you, you won't benefit from our relationship and we will be separated forever from each other. If you let me wash you, cleanse you, the opposite is true. You have a share with me. It made me think of that song, uh, When the Saints Come Marching In. Oh, I want to be in that number when the saints come marching in. And so look at how Peter responds to public humiliation. Now, he's with his buddies, and he's just put that dirty foot in his mouth. <laughs> and he's with his buddies. His buddies could be giving him a hard time, but look at how he responds. Simon Peter said to him, verse 9, Lord, not my feet also, but also my hands and my head. Wash all of me, if that's what's on the line here. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. 
So if people go up to Peter and give him a hard time for this, Peter could at least say, hey, I didn't get it. I didn't get what Jesus was doing. Jesus thankfully slapped me in the face, told me what's on the line here in my relationship with him, and to Peter's credit, he repented. Instead of going that way, he turned around and walked towards Jesus and said, well, if that's what's on the line, wash all of me. I need all of you, all of you covering all of me is what's going to get us through this. And he could say, God was gracious to give me a second chance or a 50th chance or a 5,000th chance. Like that is his heart towards us. And then we're reminded in this passage, Judas was watching the whole thing. So Judas, also a disciple, it seems like Judas actually let Jesus wash his feet, but Judas didn't let Jesus wash him. Because Judas, with all of his brokenness, all of his financial ambitions, all of his uh, just potentially all that was happening, all of the demonic influence on him, instead of taking all that demonic influence and being like, I'm so deeply broken, I need you to wash me. Peter responds, Judas doesn't, is what uh, Jesus is letting us in on here. And then Jesus brings it home to each of us, starting in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Just a little aside there, it would be completely heretical, completely heretical for anybody in first century Israel to allow someone to call you Lord. Like, I mean, you're basically saying like, hey, you're like God, you know? I mean, there are NBA players and stuff today that would be like, yeah, call me, call me that. That's probably fits my social, you know, I'm pretty high up. Just go ahead and call me Yahweh or whatever. But in the first century for somebody to say, hey, I know you call me Lord and you are right in saying that. He is either a total heretic or it's true that he is Lord. And so that's why I say, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. What Jesus has done is of great importance for how we think of him. It's of great importance that we let Jesus serve us, not because we're superior, but because we're inferior, and he is superior, and this is his heart. This is his heart towards us is to wash us. This is what he desires. tells us in John 3, he didn't come to the world to condemn it, but to save it. And we need Jesus to save us. And man, would, would 2022 be a year where each of us realize that we need Jesus to wash us white as snow? Like, we need this. We want this. 
We need Jesus to serve us. We're dependent on him. And if we feel like, like other people need Jesus but not us, like man, this would be a great message for my husband to hear, or this would be a great message for this person to hear. Like if we feel like other people need Jesus but not us, we are equally as blinded to our own self-sufficiency and our own pride. And, and the, the beauty of repentance is that he doesn't take our face and put it in the mud. He actually serves us, changes us, transforms us. We need to repent of that, have him serve us, wash all of us continually. I remember the first time I gave my life to Jesus when I was on the rugby team at the University of Northern Iowa. Radically changed my life. And I need my life radically changed by him today to wash me and change me and transform me into more and more of who he wants me to be. So, so the first part of it is to be washed by him. But then where he takes it, as, as we were wrapping this up, where he takes this is then to say, that heart that I have towards you in serving you you need to have that heart for each other. That's how you're actually supposed to think of each other, treat each other. And man, just in my own heart, if I spent more time serving people around me, loving people around me, than I did judging their motives, instead of giving them the benefit of the doubt, I give them the benefit of bad intentions or, man, I bet you when they said this, this is what they really meant. And all the, like, go down all of the stuff. Like, if I just in my own heart was able to love each of you the way that he loves us and loved the disciples that night, that would radically transform my life. <laughs> it would radically transform what I spend time thinking about. It would radically transform my actions my pocketbook, all of those things. And then imagine us as a church. And I think this is why in the last week, like he isn't just like, hey, this is my relationship to you. He's like, hey, this is my relationship to you, which overflows to your relationship with each other because they will know that we're really being changed by him if we're really being changed in how we relate to each other. And man, like that's been a prayer that we've had even before planting the church where you know, there, there are generations of families that just despise each other. And it's like, for some reason, our family hates your family, and we don't even, no one even remembers why we hate each other, or something like that. Like, I mean, that is true just in this greater community. It's true in my heart. And what I love here is the Lord is like, man, if the way that you allow me to serve you overflows in the way that we look at each other, serve each other, like, that will be irresistible, <laughs> People be like, how do I get a life like that? I'm sick of the Facebook downward spiral or whatever. Like, man, when people really start commenting, that just goes down fast. What if when we actually share with each other, we actually come closer together? And that doesn't mean that we're a homogenous group. He is speaking this to people who were sworn to hate each other. You know, when you look at even just the disciples, there was enough of diversity of racial background, economic background, a political background where they should have hated each other. And he's like, I have every right to be against every one of you because I know your thoughts and I know your actions and I'm, wa I'm serving you, I'm washing you. And so when you are aware of other people, instead of that pushing us away, when our eyes are on Jesus, it should bring us together and say, man, if he forgives me, 
He can forgive you. If he transforms me, he can transform you. Let's do this together. Let's lock arms together and let's show our community that we're being changed by our Savior because we want them to experience what we're experiencing. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows about all those times of stabbing each other back, all that stuff. And here he just invites us to be washed by him and then to have that overflow. So I think just a couple big questions is, are you letting Jesus wash you? And man, if you're like, well, I don't even know if Jesus is real, I would just say, please keep coming. Uh, not, not, this isn't a bait or switch or anything, but you just being here, I think, is his work in your life. And I think a great prayer for you this morning, maybe if you're like, I don't even know if Jesus is real, is just to say, Jesus, are you there? Do you hear this? Are you real? And man, I've, there are people here that have prayed that prayer, <laughs> and God made it clear. Just in the last, what, year, year and a half, they prayed that prayer, and they're like, he let me know he was real. I gave my life to him. He washed me. And, uh, and if you want to talk to people like that, I'm sure we could connect you and stuff. Um, but just are, are we in this room letting Jesus wash us? Uh, then are we loving each other with that type of love? Are we looking at each other with those type of eyes? And um, one of the things I love about Jesus is he doesn't say, okay, now go and try really hard to do all this stuff that I've told you to do. Uh, that would be, we would feel like we're losing continually. What he instead says is, I'm going to walk with you through this. I'm going to give you the ability to do this. I'm going to give you the power to do this. So I want to commune with you. So our, coming off of a sermon, we should never hear the words of God and be like, i got to go home and really try hard to pull this thing off. Instead, we go to the feet of Jesus and say, if this is what you want for me, you're going to have to do the surgery in me. You're going to have to be the surgeon with the scalpel. You're going to have to be cutting away all of the stuff in me that doesn't line up with this. You're going to have to be forming me into this person. Um, if you ask me to do this and you don't get, you know, a, a good coach would never demand a, someone on the team to do something and not show them how to do it, give them the ability to do that. And Jesus is infinitely better than a good coach. And he is actually working on our behalf to see this happen. So one of the beautiful things that we're stepping into is communion. And so what Jesus created for this, this is his idea and what he said is, as you, are, as you are living life with me, and he is alive and well, he says, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me, communing with him, and we'll take bread, which the bread just represents his body lived in our place, given for us, and as we eat it, it's from the inside out, nourishing us. And then we have wine or juice, obey your conscience here, and representing the, the blood of Jesus uh, poured out on our behalf. And so, so one of the things with this is uh, there aren't warnings in Scripture for someone who isn't following Jesus to take this. But what I would say is if you aren't at this time saying like, man, Jesus is my Savior, I know it. I've given my life to him. If you have not given your life to him, I would say instead of coming to the table, would you consider coming to Jesus? Would you consider giving your life to him? I would love to talk to you about that, but you don't even need me to talk to you about that. You could just talk to him about that and let us know so that we can come around you, help disciple you, and all that stuff. If you are a follower of Jesus, um, the, the warnings in Scripture are not to come too quickly to the table. First, open your life up to him. Pray to him. Say, Lord, what are, what, what are you doing in me? what do you want to do in me? Are there people that I have been hating in here and I actually need to go and ask them for their forgiveness before I come to the table? And there are examples in scripture of people saying like, hey, why don't you not take communion today? 
and why don't you meet with them, and I'd be help, ha- happy to help navigate that. And then take communion next week and, and know that, that you've, actually, uh, you've actually been following this and, and feeling the, the benefits of Jesus' way. So let's spend some moments uh, with him, and then let's come to the table and take the elements. And the way that we'll do it is we'll have, uh, is it the Huntrod serving today? Okay. So Mark and Cindy will have gloves on, and they will, they will rip off a piece of the bread. And if you just walk up with your hand like this, uh, they will place it into your hand and say, this is the body of Jesus given for you. So let's respond to him. Let's come. And we'll uh, take the elements and then uh, re- keep them, and then we'll go back to our chairs, remain standing, and we'll take it together as family. <laughs> 